Greetings in the name of Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Pastor May J. J. Gibbons Sr. coming to you on this Friday evening at our On the Wall Administrative Bible Institute. We thank God for you joining us on this evening. We are so thankful for this opportunity to come again in the name of Jesus to do the work that God has appointed us to do. We are thankful for uh, our ministry here at uh, 1205. Uh, see Main Street at our business location for our store and our God's Gift Ministries. We are um, ministering to those that are in need. Our, our cancer ministry, we um, have our closing closet here, but also we have some household goods. We are trying to reach out and touch somebody in the community who is in need. So we are thankful for everything that God is doing here, and we are so grateful for this opportunity to come. We've been studying uh, for the last few weeks uh, uh, the body of Christ, talking about the church and the body of Christ, how it relates uh, to uh, who is the church and and how the church operates and the definition of the church. Tonight, we're going to get into a little bit further study of God's definition of the church. We're going to talk about the description of the church and tonight the devotion of the church. So we thank God for you. We ask that you please download our study guide that is on our Facebook page, on uh, on the Wall E Ministries Facebook page, but on our page, Major H. Gilbert Sr., uh, download our study guide so you can follow along with us. A lot of information that we will cover, but you will not have a good or a better understanding of what we are going through unless you have our study guide to go along with us. So we're going to study tonight who is the church, God's definition of his people, and the description of the church, and the devotion uh, uh, to the church. So let us bow. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come and as we come Lord we ask that you just bless your dear servant bless our ministry here just touch the lips of your teacher that he might be able to say those things that have uh, you laid upon his heart that he might now expound and open up the scriptures so that we can get a greater understanding how the church is how it operates and who uh, is the church so we thank God for that we ask that you would just empower us now with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We thank God again for this opportunity to come. And we have been uh, not under the weather, but we've had a, uh, a tendonitis in my right hand. I've had shots this week and under medication. So we pray to God that we will get through it. I've been struggling all day long, whether I was going to cancel the class or whether I was going to do the class, but we're going to move forward in the name of Jesus. So let us get into our study, who is the church, God's definition of his people, and we're going to get into the description of the church as we get into our study guide today. So we'll look at the definition of the church, and then we want to be able to look at the description of the church, just these multiple ways, images that we want to look at and how they come together and so many different ways and sometimes when Bibles are talking about the church it's talking about it in one way but also in other ways it's talking about the church in a totally different way and we need to understand that when we are studying God's word so we're going to try to go through that on this evening the church is the what 
universal and the local assembly that God has established. The church is universal and it's local. And so this is very important for us to get. And we see that both is in the New Testament. We have the local church, but we also talk about the universal church. We see the church meeting is in a house. We see that in the New Testament, but we also see that the church is also in a city. It talks about the church as being a local assembly in a house, but it also speaks of the church in a city. And we have scriptures that is in your lesson plan that gives us that background. It says that the church is in a house. It comes out of uh, Romans 16 chapter verses 5. It says, greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved, uh, you, uh, you, you uh, epastic. Epacius, and who is the first convert of Christ in Asia. It says that in Romans 16 and 5. And then it says that the churches of Asia send us greetings, uh, Aquila and Priscilla. We've been studying that this week. Together uh, with our church in their house and send you hearty greetings of the Lord. But then we have certain instances where they rare refer to the church in the scripture. They're not talking about in a house, but they're talking about the church in relationship to a city. You go to 1 Corinthians, first chapter, verses 2, and it says it to the church there in Corinth. So there are churches that are related to people, houses, but also certain cities that are related to it as being identified as the church. But then also the church is being related to it being in certain regions. It says in Acts 9, chapter, verses 31, so the church throughout all of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. So churches are identified being uh, at a house, being in a city, but it also relates to being in certain regions. So now the church, as you look at it in the scriptures, when you see the word, it relates to also the church that is in the world. That's the universal church. He said, husband, what? Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself to it. Then it said that in 1 Corinthians 12 and 28, and God, what, has appointed in the church first apostles and then prophets and then teachers and then miracles and then gifts of healing, those other things that he gave to the church. So the church was in the world. So we have uh, the churches in the house. We have the church that is in the cities. We have church related to regions. But now we have a church here that is talking about the universal church in the world. So that's when we talk about the church in the world, universal and local. But the church is also both visible and invisible. So what I meant by invisible church is the church as God sees it from heaven. See, we can't see the way that God sees the church from heaven, but he can. He says in 2 Timothy 2 that the Lord knows who are his. And then it says that so uh, that's all believers. All believers are part of the body of Christ universal. The reality is, though, that the church visible is the church that we see on earth. The church invisible is the church that God sees from heaven, but the church visible is what you and I see here on earth. So there's a two identity of looking at the church, identified to look at the church. Acts 20, he's talking about this, and then 2 Timothy 2 and 2, he's talking about false believers that's in the church who are identified in the church. Uh, Augustine says, man and sheep are without and many wolves are within. So the picture is only God really knows who's in the church. We cannot tell. He says, let the wheat 
and the tear come up together. He said, I will do the dividing. So those are uh, uh, in the church, all uh, sheep and wolves are all in the church coming up together. But God knows that we don't know. So I'm talking about the universal church. Uh, when we come together in church, it's important that we what God, what we say and what we say is or is not the church. Because we are uh, looking at people and trying to get people to come into the church. We might be saying some things to offend people, uh, trying to get a greater understanding of what the church is. So in churches, it is important that we need to be on God. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But the church also includes both New Testament believers and Old Testament believers. It's hard for us to grasp that because we're going to look at it later. The church includes what New and Old Testament believers. Some would debate that I think it's probably uh, semantics, but when we take the definition that we're going to use about the church, the church is a body of people that are called to grace through faith in Jesus Christ and that glorify him by serving him in the world. That was our definition that we said with the church. So this means that maybe how can those that are in the Old Testament uh, be a part of the, of the church uh, by, uh, as we refer to our definition? It says that we look at the Old Testament, they were uh, uh, identified uh, as believers of the church by faith. You know, and, and, and we'll talk about that and we're going to look at that, 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 that uh, 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 they were being identified by their faith in Jesus Christ that was looking toward the cross uh, rather than looking back at the cross. you got to realize in the Old Testament, they're looking forward to the cross. So Abraham believed and was counted righteousness because he believed uh, uh, the report that Jesus Christ, that God had given on him. But we got to understand that that's what the church is. Church is about those that believed and had faith and that was accounted as righteousness, like Abraham and those uh, that uh, was in the family of God. But the difference between Old Testament believers that trusted in the coming Christ and that, that they didn't have all of the details, but they really believed that God would send a redeemer, the Messiah would come. That you can have that fulfillment going all the way back to Genesis 3, 15. So they trusted in the coming of Christ. And New Testament believers trust in the crucified Christ. Think about it. Uh, the Old Testament believers trusted in the coming of Christ. And New Testament believers trust in the crucified Christ. So some, as we said earlier, Old Testament believers look toward the cross. But then New Testament believers, we look back at the cross. But Old Testament scripture and New Testament scripture points to the cross. Whether you point forward to the cross or you point it back. So Old Testament believers... Uh, Ethnically distinct. They were all Jews. They had the ethnicity of Jews. In other words, most of the people, with few exceptions, basically in the Old Testament, were Jewish people. So they had ethnic identity as being followers of Jesus, of God. And then see that this huge thing that we're seeing all over the New Testament letters talks about the book of Acts and bringing together Jews and Gentiles together uh, that, 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 that we are brought into the church. So Old Testament believers lived under their own government that was what God-given laws, but New Testament believers lived among the rulers of the nations 
The reality is we are not a theocracy anymore like it was in the Old Testament, a ruler uh, uh, that was God-given laws operating. The Old Testament people of God had God as their king, and God designated kings and rulers and judges over them. And that's the difference between the New Testament, because we live among rulers of nations. Old Testament required circumcision, but the New Testament requires baptism. So some, there are key differences there between the two distinctions of the old and the new. Some continually, uh, there is between, uh, there is some continually there between the old and the New Testament that believers that we have talked about in just a few minutes. The church indicates what both Jews and Gentiles, it includes both of us. The church includes Jews and Gentiles brought together in the body of Christ. And that's the picture of the gospel. See, in the mystery of Christ bringing Jews and Gentiles together, that's the mystery of the gospel. We weren't grafted in. I mean, we weren't born in, but we were grafted in uh, by the adoption of Jesus Christ through his blood shed on Calvary's cross. The church is also unified but it's also diversified. The church is unified and diversified. We'll talk about it. We work together in unity in the local church, and we see unity, and we see that God, uh, that we pray for by Christ, that long for it over and over. It's the agony in Paul's voice in 1 Corinthians 1 when he is saying, Oh, you are so divided. So the church is divided, and division is a dangerous thing to have in a church. Paul said, watch out for those that cause divisions. He said that in Romans 16, verses 17 through 18. And, and, and then they said, in, in Jude 19, he said, the void of the spirit, that those that don't have the spirit of God don't have the unity to unify and to bring us together. So it says that division in anything is dangerous. And divisions is also deadly. Look what the Bible says. The works of the flesh are evident. And, and you're going to see some things here talking about um. We, we, we call it uh, moral sins or we, we're talking about vices and, and uh, uh, sins of the flesh. He's talking about that. Then in the middle of that, he put divisions. How do you talk about sins of the flesh? Then you all of a sudden putting divisions in the middle of it. Look at what we're reading in, 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 in our text. Uh, Galatians 5th chapter verses 19 through 21. It says in here, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions. Then he says divisions. So just like it, you see that it is listed with envy and drunkenness and orgies and all of these things that, that harms us, that he warns against those things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. He says that if you cause division within the body of Christ, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So if someone is being divisive in the church, there's a picture in which we stand on the truth. And it is falsehood that is being proclaimed in the church. There is a responsibility for us to stand up and stand up against those things that they are saying in the church that are not according to God's word. So we see that all over Galatians 1. When the reality that we see to promote the unity of the church, division is dangerous and is deadly. We work to unify 
in the local church, but also in the universal church. That's why they say we are one body in Christ. The church is also the Israel of God. We have a hard time understanding that. What about the church and its relationship to Israel? This could be a whole nother study, but maybe, but think about it. the church in the Israel of God. It says that in the Bible, it says that in Galatians 6, Paul talks about the phrase upon the Israel of God. In Romans 2, he talks about how the Jewish people were not Jewish by outward circumstances, but by inward faith. So I want you to think about that as the church is referring to the relationship of Israel, not the state that Israel is in. How the church is talked about, we are descendants of Israel's father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We are those descendants. In Romans 4 and Romans 9 says that we are a descendants of Abraham. So if you are Christ, then you are what? Abraham's offspring. Through Christ, we became adopted into the family of God. Now we can claim our family relationship by that adoption, which is through Christ. It says that in Galatians 3 and 29, the promise that was given unto him is passed on to us. Romans 4 is the incredible passage right that each one of us have. We are recipients of what? Israel's blessings. That's the passage we are going to look at. It referred to a couple of times in First uh, uh, Peter, second chapter. We talked about it earlier, using this imagery that, that it was for Israel in the Old Testament. He says that we were a priesthood, sacrifices. He he calls it that we are living stones, a chief cornerstone, royal priesthood, holy nation. People for God's possession, talking about that in the New Testament. So the reality of the story of the church ultimately begins with Israel, with the Old Testament people of God. So there is not, uh, there is not necessarily this perfect, exact identity between the church and Israel, but there is clear uh, continually between what we see in Israel, then see what is happening in the church. There is more than we could talk about this this con, uh, con, uh, this continuity between what Israel is and how we relate to the church. So the church and the kingdom of God. We need to think about that and try to discuss it. The church and the kingdom of God. Is the church and the kingdom of God the same thing? And the answer is no. The no, the church is not the kingdom. The church and the kingdom are synonymous in scripture. They are very closely related, but they are not synonymous in definition. You look at throughout the passages, uh, first we put it in Acts. You would not put the church where the kingdom is related to in the scripture. They don't preach about good news about the church of God. They don't persuade them uh, about the church of God. They don't proclaim the church will see my face. No, he said the kingdom of God. So we see that the church is proclaimed as uh, uh, the, 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 uh, in the kingdom of God. And, and so the kingdom creates the church and, and the kingdom of God is proclaimed in the reign of God, the rule of God and the people under his reign and he rules and then he's coming to the kingdom of God and the church is created. So the kingdom 
of God is where the church is, but the kingdom of God uh, creates the church, but the church preaches the kingdom of God is coming. So the picture here we see, we put references that Jesus' words in Matthew, in turn, the church ends up proclaiming the kingdom of God. So the kingdom creates the church, and then the church proclaims the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is preached from the church, and the church is the instrument that the kingdom uses to proclaim its message. We see Jesus talking about in his disciples, especially Peter in Matthew 15, and he talks about the kingdom of God. He says that I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you should bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven and this is the picture of the church being entrusted as a guardian of the kingdom see we are guardians of the kingdom of God those two truths about the church and the kingdom Jesus will return for his church and the king is coming back for his church and when he does he will consummate his kingdom here on church, his kingdom, his rule, his reign will be asserted once and for all finally. So that's just a brief description of the church. So things that I think are important to the conversation, but we can't camp out there to because there's so much detail. So we're going to move forward and, and, and know that that is the church. That, that, that is the church, that is the description of the church, and that's what the church means to you and I. I we are to be the church that goes about to establish the kingdom of God here on earth. We are to be able to preach the kingdom of God here on earth. That's the duty of the church, is to be able to preach and teach that the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what John the Baptist preached, and Jesus preached the same thing. The kingdom of God is at hand, but that's the duty of the church. The church and the kingdom are synonymous, but we are different in the way that we perform our duties. Uh, the kingdom of God creates the church, and the church preaches about the kingdom that is coming to be restored here on earth. So well, let's look at next the devotion of the church. The devotion of the church. You know, is the church membership necessary? One of the questions that we want to ask. You know, a lot of times we struggle. People are saying that they don't need, we don't need it. But the church is important. No devotion to the church. What is scripture saying about how much or how little Christians should devote themselves to the church? And we should devote ourselves to our local assembly or is it enough to devote to all Christians everywhere in the universal church without having a relationship with your local body? See, one of the most questions said, is church membership necessary? Is there a place in the Bible that gives us direction of church membership? And I was on a project. He said that church membership is nowhere mentioned in the Bible. Someone had talked about it. He said that I'm not a church member and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but I'm not a member of the church because it's man-made. We talk about that sometimes church is man-made. But the thing is, we can gladly say that no church membership or membership of the Lord of the church, no, it is not basically 
commanded in the Bible. You won't find nowhere in the Bible where it says the word church membership ever mentioned, but it won't find a command for believers to come a member of a local church. That's not in there either. So many people try to look at that and say, uh, everything, you don't need to be a member of the church, but that's not true. That's not true. There is not a place that explicitly says that, but there are references that gives us a reference to who uh, it is. So all things are not detailed in the Bible. We talk about Trinity. Trinity is not referenced in the Bible or spelled out in the Bible. We know that there is the Trinity is a divine relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're part of the triune nature of God. It's not in the Bible, but we know that the Trinity is uh, it does exist. And then there's nowhere in the Bible where Jesus says, I am God. But he knows that he says, if you have seen the Father, you've seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he said that, but you got to look at Scripture and realize that there are no explicit uh, 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 references in the Bible that say certain things, but they infer, they infer certain things. And then we see the phrase Ecclesia in the Bible. So that relates to what? A gathering of people. So it may not talk to you specifically about being a member of a church, but it says that you're part of a gathering. When you're part of a gathering, but you're also a member of the body. He says the church is a body of many members, and that many members, and each member has his own particular job. So we are members of a body. So church membership is not mentioned in the Bible, but it's inferred in many other areas. When Paul writes to the church at Corinth, it's a certain divine people. He's not writing, uh, although obviously the implication is there in the scriptures that they're all about this, but this letter is written to the local church at a specific time, at a specific place, a special gathering of believers. So it begs the question, as a Christian, what gathering are you a part of? Uh, with the church, do you gather? Memberships is implied by that. You are part, you are a member, so whatever you want to call it, you are identified with a gathering of believers, and you are part of that. Some people say, well, I gather with all kinds of churches. I go to different churches every Sunday, so I get all kinds of different letters, and, and it's all the better. He says, I'm at church every Sunday. Well, that's okay, but you haven't aligned yourself with anybody else. Secondly, membership is implied in the church by discipline. Look at it. We're talking about church discipline. And, and God, Jesus is talking about confronting a brother with sin. Listen how he relates to it in Matthew 18, 15, and 17. If he refuses to listen to them, he says, tell the church. Huh? So, uh. You confront a brother in sin. If it doesn't work, you take two or three others along with you. Remember he told you how to catch your brother that is in a fault. Take someone with you, then take two with you. If he refuses to listen, then you tell the church. So if there is no church there, how do you tell the, the church if the church... So the church was a what? Physical body, and it was people there. So who is the church there? 
the universal body of Christ? No, we are not talking about the universal body. We are talking about a local assembly. So well, the assumption, our assumption is that by discipline, it was disciplined not by the universal church. He was being disciplined by what? By his local church. My brother over there, the unrepentant brother of sin. So he announced the entire universal body of Christ. This guy is unrepentant. No, it clearly tells me that it's something that has a gathering of believers that he was called in question too. So go to 1 Corinthians 5th chapter, which is talking about church discipline. Basically, Paul is talking about when excommunicating someone in the church because of his behavior. I think he was uh, running around with his mother-in-law, crazy stuff. And we'll talk about what is going on in the church a little bit later on. But in order for it to be excommunicated, you got to be a member. So you can't say that he was excommunicated away from the church, but he wasn't a member of the church. Yes, he was a member of the church, and he was being excommunicated. So discipline... Uh, tells us that he was a member of and they had a right to excommunicate him out of the church. Then thirdly, membership is implied by the church leadership. It says in Hebrew 13th chapter verses 17, Obey ye leaders and submit to them, and for they are keeping watch over your souls as they who will have to give an account of it. So that's a command for Christians in the Bible. Now, again, this is something that we are going to talk about, but think about this for a second. Leaders that have to give an account. So these leaders have to give an account of those that he leads. So if I'm a pastor of a church, and who do I give an account for? Who will I give an account for? Every person in the universal body? No, we're talking about our accountability to those that are in the membership of the local body that we are pastors of. So that's what he is saying. So it tells me that if, if there is an account for a leader, for members under him, there must be some membership into a local church. That now obey you leaders, submit to them, it said. That's the commandment. So followers of Christ are commanded to obey those that are leaders in the church. So now, does that mean uh, that you obey every Christian, every Christian leader, even in the universal church? He was talking about you having that relationship with somebody in a leader in your local church, Galatians 1. So if you're not, somebody is not preaching the gospel, the church is accountable for shutting those out who are not obeying the rules. And the church is accountable for identifying its members so that they can have that discipline over them. And this is the picture in 1 Corinthians 5. Interesting, the church is one that defines who's a member in 1 Corinthians 5, not the individual. The church defines that the church is accountable for sending missionaries again in what? Acts 13. So all of these passages, when we put them together, the question is, every follower of Christ, if you're an accountable member of a local church, now I'm not just saying the name somewhere uh, which are on a roll. Your accountability is that you need to be supporting. You need to be there, uh, spurring people on, uh, encouraging people, holding fast to the hope of every member. And then in Hebrews 10, who are the leaders of your life? 
in submission to? Who are you accountable to in your, for your spiritual growth? If you can't answer that, the reality is that you're living contrary to the Bible. If you have no accountability with a brother or sister in Christ, that you're not living according to the Bible. I know that's not particularly popular today, but what we need to understand, that's what the Bible tells us. It, it's important, the local church, for all of the different reasons, God designed it that way for our good and for his glory. We can't shop and hop around trying to find a church that fits us. God puts us in a body so that that body can nourish us and nurture us and to bring us up and help us grow. So we cannot ignore the gathering of a, of a, of a local body of believers together. So there is no option for us but to have a local church. And there are no believers in the New Testament that are no, not associated with the church somehow uh, with a local gathering of believers. So the encouragement, if you are here and you are not committed to any local assembly or gathering of believers, then you should be able to make a commitment to find a Bible teaching church, find somebody that you can relate to one to another in the body of Christ. This is the commitment that you need for your life to be able to come together with other believers so that you can have that nourishment and that nurturing that you really need. So is the church a covenant valuable? Is the church valuable for us to have a covenant relationship with God? And so the church, is it covenant uh, valuable? So we have a church covenant. And, and we're talking about the physical church covenant. Is the physical church covenant, is your bylaws, that's what we call a church covenant, is your bylaws of the church valuable? So we have a church covenant. Everybody else has one. We got bylaws that we need to operate by. So they are valuable. And this is not a command to it, but there is not a prohibition against you having some bylaws in your church. They say, I operate by the Bible. The Bible does not address everything word for word. Uh, that you got to be able to look at the Bible, get these uh, principles out of the Bible when you develop your what? Your, your church constitution or your church covenant. You got to understand that. Definitions of covenant define just a kind, a secular definition is a written agreement or promise usually under seal and between two or more parties uh, of an assembly for the performance of some action. That's what a covenant is. So a church covenant is defined in certainly a divine definition of who the church is. And this is what we need. A clear expression of church covenant to love one another as a community of faith. That should be the, the, the thesis of any church covenant. We, we, are the, the, we are the church covenant to love one another and a community of believers to bring faith and understanding to those that believe. So we are the church here. So we want to be able to understand that the church has to be able to do those things and bring people together so to remind them 
that they are God's children. We got to come together to do that. So how do we do it? No, it's not some legalistic code that God wants us to come together just saying that we want to love one another because the Bible says so. He wants us to have a relationship. And I think that we see foundations of the Old Testament. And when we look at Nehemiah in this ninth chapter, verses 38, he said, because all of this, that we make a what? Firm covenant in writing. So a church's covenant is putting down in writing what you want to do to establish your church based on Bible principles. This is not a level of some a mosaic covenant or some Abrahamic covenant or some Noetic covenant, but it is adding another layer to your understanding of that body of Christ, that particular local church, how it operates and how it rules. So I believe that's the foundation that we need for a church, that, that the church is a community grounded on the word of God that we need to establish as our local covenant between members. So this doesn't in any way replace the word of God. It doesn't do that. But the word is central. The word of God got to be the central message in your church covenant. And then it forms a foundation for our commitment to love one another in the local body. The church is a community sustained by the grace of God. And you see that in a Nehemiah 9 in the Old Testament. It's the confession of people of God for their need for God. And the church is a community promoting the good for one another. That's what we need to do. The whole covenant is to affix their names and seals and to is as for how they are going to spur on one another, to encourage one another, to be able to demonstrate the glory of God in the lives of its members and to each one in the church. So what did we, uh, how, what I did at the end of the section was that I put an illustration in of our church covenant and how the church covenant writes that may be in your notes, uh, but we are not going through it today. So feel free to go through your notes and utilize how this church covenant will help us to be able to bring uh, our, our church organization together. And I don't think it's essential, but we do see it's commanded elsewhere in scripture. But I do think it's valuable and that especially it helps us to understand exactly where we're going and whether our church is really a Bible-based church or not is how the structure of our covenant is, is it references the Bible and how it stays in point with the Bible and it stays in point with God's word. So the summary of the church. Summary of the church. What is the church? So we used the definition earlier that the church is the body of people called God uh, by God's grace through faith in Christ to glorify him by serving him in the world. So what is a local church? We said the local church is the local body, a gathering of believers of Christ, uh, covenanted together uh, to glorify God by serving him in the world. So now, here's why I want to emphasize that. By that I mean in order 
uh, to be a local church, you have to have a church gathering of believers. And they have said, they have identified themselves as a church. So now we look at why Matthew 18, where the two or three are gathered together, that I will be in the midst of them. As long as Christians are in the plural, you have a church. No, you can't do. You can't say that either. The total abuse of this scripture, if you use that as a reference, the church is a gathering of believers, not just sitting down having a cup of coffee between two or three. The church is a gathering of believers. It's a gathering that's committed to one thing, and that is to committed of loving one another caring for one another, spurring each other on in the word of God, and then encouraging one another in doing all of the activities that is about walking through by faith in this world. They do these things together, and then they identify themselves together as a church, and they align themselves with God's word. That's what says that the church should operate with. So when you got a local body of believers that are gathering together, and you see this popping up all over the book of Acts, and we see uh, those uh, uh, instructions that are in Acts on how the churches operate, and believers gathering together, they identify themselves to each other, and they commit themselves to each other, and they grow together with each other, and then they give themselves to the mission that God calls us to do to, together. To work together and to worship together and to baptize together and to serve together. And that's what's happening that should happen in our local churches. And that's what I mean by covenant together. That we take the power of numbers to multiply our efforts to be able to reach the kingdom of God and to expand it all over the world. It takes all of us. It takes a body of believers to get that done. So Christians and the local churches, as followers of Christ, we commit our lives to one another as a member of the local church and for the good of ourselves. So if you live this Christian life, try to live this Christian life apart from the local church. You will find yourself starving spiritually, and then you will live in contrary to the New Testament. It's not good for us to not assemble together, not to relate to other believers, not to associate. The New Testament knows nothing of Christianity disconnected from the local church. It says that it's our priority. He said, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So it's not perfect. No, the church is not. Obviously, local churches are not perfect either. And the reason why we are not perfect is because of you and I. We're in the church. We got all of our imperfections. We got all of our problems. We got all of our issues. We got everything that come into the body of Christ. And when we come in together as born again believers into the body of Christ, we need to be there for one another. You know, and, and, and it's going to be worse because uh, we, we got people coming in in this generation that really have no background, no foundation of Christ. We have to be there willing with open arms to be able to welcome them in. God is gracious. Isn't that right? 
We got to be gracious too. The whole picture of the church is being like Christ with open arms to welcome those in and to announce his glory to the world. Only God can take a group of people that are imperfect and make something good out of them. And that's the point about the church. It's not purpose people. It's imperfect people coming together to work to help one another to grow to that place of perfection, which is what? In Christ Jesus. For God, for the good of ourselves and for the good of other Christians, you need other Christians and they need you. We need one another. They don't need to just sit next to you. And that's what we do in a lot of our churches. We just sit next to one another uh, in a worship service. And they need for you to commit for them in their life. We need one another. Well, what about people outside the church? Uh, they, they need to commit themselves to them too. Yeah, we need to be an example to our members. I think a scripture that we had, he said that we should behave ourselves uh, in the church. And then we should love each other, especially in the household of faith. So we need to be there for each other, especially in the household of faith. So we need a lives that are people committed to each other. And, and that's the beauty of it. We join the church. We are part of this local church that is good for believers and what? Non-believers, non-Christians, because God's design for the church is to create a loving community uh, that will be a public display of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ to a world that don't know nothing about him. A community that shows the difference that Christ makes when he comes into your life and that draws people to Christ by the love that we have for one another. The world is not drawn to Christ by seeing casual, uh, anonymous church attenders uh, every now and then. That doesn't sit well. The world is drawn to Christ when they see people making sacrifices that are committed to God with their lives and, and they have the love of God for one another, committed to one another in a way that they don't see other places, uh, any other place in the world to be able to share their love for one another. That's God's design for the church. So do that for the good of non-Christians and ultimately for the glory of God in the body of Christ. So let me just uh, ask this question. Hopefully, uh, if you are not convinced that this will convince you, how will you display the glory of God of the one who died for the church? Uh, if we devote nothing to the church, how are we going to show the love of God that he sent Jesus Christ into the world to die for us if we don't have no love for the church. How do we do that? If we have no devotion to the church, how do we show God our appreciation for him in sending Jesus into the world? Hey, do it for your good. Do it for the good of your fellow man. Do it for the good of others. You know, they need you and we need them. And it's good for the lost who need to see Christ in the church and do it for the glory of God. That's what our mission is. That's who we are. That's our description and that's our devotion. We need to be devoted to the word of God, devoted to the body of Christ so that we too can be part of the church that Christ will come back to receive without spot or wrinkle. He says he's coming back looking for a church. Not looking for a local assembly, not looking for a, a denomination. He's coming back looking for a church without spot or wrinkle. And he's looking for a church that is totally committed unto him. 
with all of our difference, all of our imperfections, but we are having our trust in the risen Savior. That's what the church is all about. We thank God for you joining us on this evening at our Bible Institute. We've been studying uh, the description of the church and the devotion to the church. On our next study, we're going to move into our next study. What does the church do? God's design for his people. We're talking about seven activities of the church. We're going to study that on our next uh, session. But we thank God for you joining us. We thank God for this word. We thank God for his goodness and his power. And we're excited about what he's doing on this Friday evening. And thank God that he allowed me to get through it. The medication and all of that is doing its part, but I thank God for it. I, my arm don't hurt. The inflammation is going down, and God is blessing us. Just like God gave us the church. God gave us doctors and nurses, and, and he gave us hospitals. And God did all of that for, for our good. So we have churches for our good. Everything that is in this world, and on the day of creation, God said it was good. And everything that God makes for us is good if we would only put our trust in him. God bless you. May heaven ever smile upon you. Let us bow. Father God, we do thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to just say a word for you, Lord. We thank you for this class as we talk about the church and the body of Christ. Let us be forever vigilant and knowing that we need each other. We need the body of Christ. We need to be there for each other. But we need others that nurture us and we need to be nurturing on others to be able to build up the body of Christ so that we can be our brother's keeper. We thank God for you being here. We thank God for you joining us on this Friday evening. And we hope that you've gotten something to be able to help you to become a better citizen into the kingdom of God. God bless you. May heaven ever smile upon you. We'll see you on Sunday morning at our Sunday school hour. We wish each of you to have a happy holiday, the fourth. Be careful, be safe, and allow God to be able to help you to show the love of God in your heart to share with somebody around you. Get to your family and friends and to help celebrate this holiday season. But put God first in your life. Put God first in your life, and I believe everything is going to be all right. God bless you. May heaven ever smile upon you. And we're going to see you on Sunday morning, 9 o'clock, Sunday school hour, 9.30 for our worship hour. God bless you, and we'll see you then.